So as we get started today, let's play a quick game, okay? I'm going to read you some movie plots, and if one of these movie plots sounds familiar to your life in any way, I want you to raise your hand, okay? Do we got the rules? All right. Okay, here's our first one. A bridal boutique owner who is deep in the fury of planning an exquisite Christmas wedding is unexpectedly swept off of her feet by the bride's brother. Anyone? No? I don't see any hands here. Okay, let's try a different one. All right. Uh, How about this one? A department store manager sets out to create an amazing department store window to impress the owner. She asks a recently fired store employee to help her make the display. And as they work together, oh, they start to fall in love. Anyone? We got someone back here. I don't know if you're the one that was fired or I'm not sure. All right. How about this one? A department store window decorator learns that there is a vacancy for her dream job in the run up to Christmas, only to find that a professional rival has put his eye on it too. And they are forced to compete against each other to win the position, but they begin to fall in love with one another as the contest heats up. Anyone here? Again, nobody? Okay, all right. Um, Of course, uh, these seem very similar to you. They seem like maybe even the same movie because they kind of are. They were all Hallmark Christmas movies. And they all have the same plot, and they all have the same actors. (laughs) Now, before you think that I'm a Scrooge because I'm mocking Hallmark movies, just uh, uh, know that I just do that because they seem so very far-fetched and so far away from our reality. But maybe that's the draw of all of these movies. They take somebody away from what they're dealing with in their uh, present day and the reality that they find themselves in. And in their defense, whether it's a secular movie or not, they do speak about joy. They speak about this joy that comes in the Christmas time, sometimes a lot more than we do as Christ followers. So this week of Advent is focused on the joy that we should be getting from this season as our life as a follower of Jesus, our Savior. And so we're going to piggyback on last week's uh, sermon, um, the scripture about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is just about as far away from a Hallmark Christmas movie as you could possibly find in the Bible, right? Um. I haven't heard a plot yet that says a good-looking and successful shepherdess escapes into the wilderness for a much-needed vacation where she meets a rugged man named John dressed in camel clothing and eating bugs, (laughs) yet falls in love. So last week, It probably was a little strange for me to mention peace and John the Baptist in the same breath and talk about that at the same time. The same is going to come true here for joy for us today. Uh, Stick with me. Okay, so if you're you're here, uh, turn to the third chapter of Luke. It is our uh, scripture again. We're going to find John the Baptist is in the uh, 
uh, Jordan River. He is baptizing people. And crowds have been coming around, and some people have been asking to be baptized, and they gather together. And starting verse 7, this is what he says. You brood of snakes. Great way to start your message to people, isn't it? Who warns you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. He says, that means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And so the crowds ask, what should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even the corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do, asked some soldiers. And John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations. Be content with your pay. Verse 15, and everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater than I am not even worthy to be his slave or untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff in a never-ending fire. Sounds pretty joyful to me, doesn't it? Thanks for coming today. Glad we could cheer you up by reading this scripture for you. Snakes and axes cutting off roots and chaff being burned into a never-ending fire. Merry Christmas, PFN. All right? See, we didn't see or hear the word joy in this scripture at all, but promise you it's there. We just have to look a little deeper. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, joy begins with repentance. John has harsh words here, and he calls everyone to a repentance. See, what I think over the years is we have really softened that word. We've softened the meaning of repentance. Uh, we would love to say that repentance is just merely saying, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We are so quick to just offer a, an I'm sorry, right? We do it all the time. A lot of times we don't even meet it. It's kind of cliche for us. It's empty when we might give our sorry to someone else. Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? If one of your kids does something against the other one, what do we immediately tell them? Will you say you're sorry, right? And what do they do? Sorry. 
They aren't sorry. They're not sorry in the least. They're sorry they might have got caught, but they're not sorry that they hurt their brother or sister in the least. In fact, they probably are pretty happy about it at that moment. See, I'm sorry has lost a lot of its meaning because when we say it, really we are just wishing that that will just appease the person whom we have offended or whom we've hurt. When God points out a sin in our life, do we take the easy way out and say a half-hearted sorry? See, the Greek word here for repentance is metanoia. Metanoia. And it literally means a transformed change of heart. A transformed change of heart. It's all about seeing things in a new way. It's all about a complete restoration. It's all about a a complete transformation of one's life. So instead of saying, I'm sorry, repentance means that we are transformed into someone else. We are transformed into something else altogether. So instead of feeling bad about something... We allow the Holy Spirit, we allow God to transform us into the type of person that would no longer do that sort of thing. That's repentance. Repentance then leads to joy. Remember last week, John is criticizing the way that people had to depended on their heritage to save them. And they might have been saying, hey, my family is Jewish, therefore I am Jewish, and I'm one of God's favorite people, and so I'm good, I'm in. And John is telling them that God is calling his people to something more. God is calling his people to something far greater than their heritage or their ancestry. As great as that is, he has something better. And so John explains to them in a way that this farming and this agricultural group would understand. And he says, even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. See, people were coming to him uh, to be baptized. Uh, They were producing fruit in their life. It just wasn't the fruit that God expected them to produce. The fruit that they are producing is not the fruit that children of God should be known for. The children of God should be producing fruit of justice and compassion. And the trees that are not producing this good fruit, John says, are going to be cut down. So there is going to have to be a transformation in the lives of those who say they're following God. See, John's call to repentance also points people away from that family tradition that they've been so used to their entire lives, points them away from that heritage that they've uh, counted upon, and points them towards a new family. This family is being formed by Jesus. This family is the church, the one that's not based on any of our heritage, it's not based on our gender, it's not based on our race or our background, but it's based rather on the transformation that Jesus offers every single one of us.
Our family of Christians has been formed by the waters of baptism into this new covenant of Christ. In the Old Testament, in the, uh, the old covenant ways, people were supposed to bring a sacrifice in or- to the temple in order to pay the price for their sins. In the old covenant, people were supposed to be set apart from the rest of society. In the old covenant, you were set apart because of your heritage, because of your bloodline. You were set apart because of your parents and because of your ancestors and by the physical ritual of circumcision. Now, circumcision... uh, was a sign that you were different. And we're not going to get into, what, or we don't have time to, why circumcision, as we know it, is no longer required. Just be glad that it's not, okay? That's a whole bunch of sermons about the difference between an old and the new covenant. And someday we'll get into all of those. For today, know that you are still supposed to be known as different. There's no longer a mark on the body that is needed to prove that you are one of God's people, but yet there is a mark on your heart that's required. That mark is reflected in the behavior, in the devotion, in the repentance, and in the fruit of the Christian. So how will someone know that you follow Jesus? It won't be from some outward physical sign on you but they will know you by your fruit. Is the fruit of your life one that the world would produce or is it one that has been created by the love of Jesus manifesting itself in your life? So this morning we ask, are you joyful? So number two here, how do we find this joy? I want you to remember that the instruction that John gives in verse 11, he says, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about King David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was this outcast, and David, the king, invited Mephibosheth to sit at the king's table. Now, King David didn't have to do that to him. He wanted to do that for him. And the good news for us today is that we too are invited to sit at the king's table. You are invited to be with him forever one day in heaven, if you choose to follow him while you're here on earth. Did Jesus have to invite you to the table? Did King David have to invite Mephibosheth to his table? No. So why would they? Why did they? See, both David and and Jesus are being extremely generous to us. They did it because seeing you sit on the other side of the table with them, they did it because seeing you in heaven with Jesus for eternity brings him joy. Even though we don't deserve it, we are invited to be with Jesus forever. Therefore, joy comes from generosity. And generosity is a key component to this new life of following Christ. In this new life, those that have are supposed to give to those 
that don't. Now, I get it, we get a little nervous when someone mentions and starts talking about taking away from those who have much to give to somebody who has little. I get it, it sounds a little bit pretty close to socialism, right? Just a little bit, maybe. Listen, socialism only can exist when the power of the church to take care of those less fortunate has either been taken away from us or we've given it away to someone else. And that's as political as I'm getting here today, okay? Uh, Jesus is going to be preaching about this over and over and over again in his ministry. And here we find John, and he's preparing the way for Jesus to come and turn the order of things upside down. This is part of the reorientation process of repentance, where the focus used to be on how people could save themselves, where the attitude used to be, uh, what is the least that I can do and still remain as one of God's favored people? Look at verse 8. John and pretty soon Jesus is going to be turning this entire focus around. So instead of focusing on ourselves, we are to focus on the well-being of others. And so John says, focus on collecting uh, no more than you are authorized to collect. He is introducing generosity instead of greed. And so tax collectors, remember, were the most notorious people uh, around that day. They were notorious for taking far more than their share, and then they just pocketed the excess. And so coveting and taking from others is not part of this new life that John is calling them towards. But there's more that's going on here. There's a lot more than in this part of this reorientation that he's doing in the kingdom. Tax collectors were often some of the most hated people around. No one wanted to hang out with a tax collector, and for good reason. This response, though, seems to say that they're still welcomed into this new life. They are still welcome to be part of this new family. I want you to look at what's happening here. They are never asked to stop being tax collectors. Never. Though they may lose their job if they suddenly become honest and righteous, right? They are called to the same standard of repentance and this new life. And then they're expected to live out that life in their occupation. The way they exist in the world now is changed, in which, which in turn changes how they do their job, which changes how they're supposed to relate to other people. Their job doesn't change. The way they do their job should be changing. And eventually, people are going to start taking notice. In verse 14, John tells the soldiers, don't cheat or harass anyone. Be satisfied with your pay. This reorientation that John is talking about is a call to be kind and a call to be content. The soldiers were the, the military arm of the Roman government. 
And they could have easily taken advantage over anybody they wanted to. They could have harassed and cheated people, and they often did without any repercussions whatsoever. They could have done a whole lot worse. Yet God or John is calling them to something that is noticeably different for them. He didn't tell them to quit their job. He just said, do your job differently. Do it as God expects you to do it. Be kind. Be fair. Be content. Let it bring you joy. Then you will be changing the people that are around you. Then people will start to take notice of what God is doing in your life. See, the expectation is that a life that is transformed, a life that is bearing fruit, good fruit is one of contentment. It's one of generosity and kindness and compassion and justice. And when we live out a transformed life that bears good fruit, one of the consequences of that is joy. When we receive joy, when we help others, when we help others, we don't constantly desire for more and more and more in our own life. You see how the fruit here is starting to connect itself with one another? The Apostle Paul is going to spend some time later on and when he wrote the uh, uh, book to Galatians. In fact, you can look it up in Galatians chapter 5. He lists all the fruit out, all nine of them. He says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All are the fruit of the Spirit. Notice that Paul doesn't say these are the fruits of the Spirit. They are the fruit of the Spirit. They are all interconnected. He's kind of saying here, don't expect joy if you don't have any self-control. And don't expect peace if you don't have any patience. See, lives transformed by the Spirit bear the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Not just joy, but peace and love and all of the rest. All of them. But for any of that fruit to be produced, you have to be open for the Holy Spirit to transform your life. So where does all of this point to? Number three is this. Jesus is joy for all the people. Remember from the text that people began looking at John with an expectation that, hey, is this guy going to be the next Messiah? Is this guy it? Is he the person that we have been waiting for all of these years? Right? Has the Messiah finally come? He teaches so much differently. He speaks with so much authority. He speaks about transformation. Could he be the one? And John simply says, no. I'm here to prepare the way for the one who is going to come. He's pointing people away from him and towards Jesus. And so he used this image of baptism to explain this to the people. While the people may have felt transformed, while they may have felt empowered by being baptized in the Jordan River, the one who is coming is going to be baptizing with the Holy Spirit. 
See, a couple weeks ago when our friends were baptized back here, as they were lifted up out of the water, I'm sure they felt transformed. I'm sure they felt empowered. I'm sure they felt different that day. But it had nothing to do with the water that they were being lowered into. It had everything to do with the Holy Spirit. By taking what our friends that day gave him, And they gave him their life, their body, their futures. And the Holy Spirit is saying, now this is something that I can start to work with. See, John was only preparing the way for Jesus. He was introducing a way. He was introducing a new way of thinking about things, a new kingdom, a transformed way. The real, living, breathing, good news is coming And his name is Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. It means God with us. And he's coming into the world. And we too, today, can be used to prepare the way for Jesus' second coming. And we too prepare the way for Christ. And we too can live this transformed life where we look out for others. Where we take care of somebody else's needs. Christ has come for us on this side of of Advent to bring about a new order into this world, to show us how we are supposed to be generous, to show the church how we are supposed to be the ones that are compassionate and content. And the reward for you to live out this transformed life is joy, it's meaning, it's your purpose. See, we live in this strange part of history, don't we? We live in this kind of in-between spot between the kingdom that was there and the kingdom that is going to be coming, right? We know Christ has come. We know that God has taken on flesh. We know that he came to be one of us, to be among us. We know that he has come to usher in this new life, but also a new family, a new kingdom. Yet we know this is supposed to exist. This new kingdom of God exists in a very broken world. We walk into weeks like this week where every single day this week I received a phone call of someone else that's tested positive, of someone else that's sick at home, of someone else that's now in the hospital, of someone else that's struggling to breathe. Every single day. And so it's hard for us to come into a week like this and say, does joy, uh, does joy even exist? Is joy even available? It's so hard to have joy in the midst of our despair. It's hard to have joy when you feel like we're living in this in-between time. We're in a time a preparation, friends. During Advent, we pray that God is going to draw close. And the good news of Christ is that we can have joy today. We can have it here. The new kingdom of God is breaking through the kingdom of this world. So stay faithful, church. Stay alert, church, for joy can break through your brokenness as well. 
Joy isn't merely this, this feeling brought about by circumstances. Joy is a deep and abiding state brought because you have a connection with Christ. Hope is not passive. Peace is not passive. And joy is not passive. Joy is fostered through the ways that our lives are continually being transformed to look more and more like Jesus every single day. And when we lay aside our discontent, when we share with others, when we find ways to seek justice and compassion in this world, then we find these moments of joy that we just can't help sharing with the world that's around us. And so when we sing that song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature will sing. We know that's because Christ is bringing joy to his kingdom. And he intends to bring that joy through you and through me. See, I may not see joy every day around me, but I know that I can bring joy to those around me. Church, don't be distracted by this world. Do not be discouraged with circumstances that we may be going through. You have the opportunity to bring joy to those that are around us. So I'd like us just to close our eyes and bow our heads as we close today. I want you to silently talk to Jesus as I am praying. And I want you to ask him for ways that you might bring joy to someone else. You would do that by fulfilling their needs. Having compassion for them. And in turn... Jesus gives you joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this example, this, this sermon by John the Baptist many, many years ago. And very unconventional uh, sermon telling the congregation that had gathered around that you're just a bunch of snakes. Not the way that we're trained to start. But Lord, we thank you that John in his way just cut right to the point that in this new kingdom that you are bringing, the, this new kingdom that we look forward to in uh, the season of Advent, that new kingdom is here and it is now. It happened on your birth. It happened on that Christmas morning. The new kingdom is ushered into place. And because of that, Lord, we should be transformed people. And when we follow you, the world should know that we are different. Lord, help them to see something different in us, not because we're a little loony, but because we show the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So, Lord, I'm praying for my friends in our congregation today and our friends that are watching online uh, today, that even at this moment that you would bring a situation, that you would bring a person that you would bring an opportunity to our minds where we can meet the needs of someone else, where we can greet them with compassion, 
where we can show them generosity, the same generosity that you show us. And so, Lord, we thank you that when we follow your new ways, when we follow the ways of this new kingdom, when we are transformed by your Holy Spirit, then, then we can have joy. We thank you, Lord, for, for giving us joy, not because of our circumstances, but because of the king that we follow. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your incredible name that we pray. Amen. Amen.